I watched my life start to both elevate in really weird ways and then deteriorate into this like deep bottomless pit of I can't do anything without this man in my life. And he was like a drug, like could not get enough, like was addicted. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. Sometimes you have to go through the darkness to reach the light. That's what I did. After 12 years of recovery in sex and love addiction, I finally found my soulmate, myself. Please join me in my novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, a four-time bestseller on Amazon. It's a brutal, honest, raw, gnarly ride, but hilarious at the same time. Check it out now on Amazon. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets we probably want to go to our grave with are those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing. Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Rachel. Now, Rachel, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? Well, thank you for having me on. And my secret is that when I was in my late 20s, I had a on and off scandalous relationship with an 18-year-old gentleman. And literally threw my life down the tubes and I almost tapped out on life as a result of it. Wow. Okay. Let's go back. So what started this relationship? So I had been in on and off um, long-term relationships with different men and none of them seemed to pan out. And I was on my my hot shit. Uh, <laughs> Your uh, shit don't stink. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know what? Fuck a relationship. I'm going to just get some young tail and see what happens. And honestly, like I'd never been with anybody younger, but this guy was catnip. He was like kryptonite at this catnip and kryptonite all wrapped up into one package. And oh. I, I watched my life start to both elevate in really weird ways and then deteriorate into this like deep bottomless pit of I can't do anything without this man in my life. And he was like a drug, like could not get enough, like was addicted. So can we talk about first how you're, you said elevate, how did things elevate during so, that time? This, this young man came from a really amazing family and in my relationship with him or <laughs> pseudo relationship, we'll call it, <laughs> I got exposed to motherly love. I got exposed to fatherly love. I got exposed to family in a way that I'd never felt cared for and seen. And it was almost like the missing puzzle piece in my life. And so I wow. felt powerful at times, but then the low was like unmanageable, like crying in my bed, staring at my phone for 12 hours, waiting for text messages, like kind of crazy, terrible. So it was almost like, did, was an obsession came over you about him? Did other people know about your relationship at the time? 
they did, but they didn't know to what extent I was being, um, uh, I, I was choosing to participate in like, like to the point where I would call my friends religiously for support, but they'd be like, just stop seeing that guy. And then like the later it would get at night, I would end up on, um, an app called whisper and Mm -hmm. like releasing my deepest, darkest, like, please help me get this guy in my life. Who do I have to be in order to have him in my life forever? And like, it was terrifying. I was, I was addicted. I was obsessed. I was compulsive. I was like, uh, you know, spending hours like an FBI investigator on social media. Like, (laughs) I mean, I just, I I look back on that part of my life and go, I just want to hug that girl. Were you, so did you like stalk him? Was he, was he an available young, young buck? (laughs) Um, he, uh, was, I mean, as available as an 18 year old can be. I mean, he still lived at home. Um, like I supported him in moving out of his parents' house. Like, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was not, maybe in 10 years he would have been relationship material, but he was, you know, a baby, a baby. But here's the thing. So your friends knew about the relationship. Did they know how young he was? They did know, but they didn't see to the extent I was involved. They saw like, okay, well, you know, Rachel's not around anymore. So like she must be doing something else. And he and I shared uh, an activity in the world together. So I was always doing quote unquote that activity. And what I was really doing was just like upending my life and turning myself into, you know, uh, bending myself into whatever sort of Gumby character I could be that I thought he would want me to be, which included like not being anywhere near anybody I was friends with. Oh, so you really isolated yourself in this, you know, situation from people. Oh, so it like kind of just everything shut out and made it, made it about this one person. Yeah. And seemingly from the outside, everything seemed fine. I was successful. I had six figure income. I had my own place. I was, had it all together and like, yeah, it was jarring to say the least when I hit that bottom of like, I don't want to do life anymore because of this relationship with this person. It was like a two week on two week off. Yeah. So what was that bottom? Can you describe the moment where it just all came just rushing? Yeah, it was, it was five years ago and um, five years ago in June. And, um, I had planned my birthday and, um, the girl he had cheated on me with, probably three or four times he was, he was pulling away again. And, um, I uncovered in my social media findings that he had planned a beach day with her on my birthday and my birthday was going to be at the beach. So he had like, after he had just professed his undying love for me and we were going to be together and he never wants to see anybody else. And it was just like, I'm canceling my birthday. I'm getting in the car and I'm leaving town and I'm never coming back. Mm. Um, yeah, it was, it was gnarly. It was, uh, it was very dramatic. It was like, I was living in an emergency room. 
um, emotional emergency room 24 hours a day. My adrenaline, my nervous system was, was just tapped. Wow. Did you get in that car and drive and go? I did. I went, um, uh, to where I am from and, um, really had a hard time explaining why I was there I made some excuse, uh, why I was there and just found myself driving around and figuring out which telephone pole is just going to run my car into. Mm, I have heard similar people say when they've been in that same situation, like they didn't want to like kill themselves. They just didn't want to be around anymore. Mm -hmm. Is that how you felt? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that, that it just hurt so bad that I didn't want it to hurt anymore. Right. And my best thinking was like, there's no way this feeling is ever going to go away unless I end it. And I had, I had exposed myself so deeply to the, the community that he and I were both in. They just, people just like, ugh. they looked at me and go, ugh, you're a grown woman. What are you doing? Mm, so, so I had all this like judgment from other people cause they view, they saw it. Yeah. Yeah. There were moments where people would like, pull him aside and be like, Hey, she's dangerous. Like, don't, don't talk with her anymore. Like, like really had his best interest at heart, but they didn't see the inner workings of what actually was happening. And I mean, I'm fully responsible for creating what I created with him and like we co-created it together. So there's every, Do you feel, <laughs> I love, I love what you just said because it seems like the blame got put on you, even though you know it was both you and him, but it seemed like, did it all come on you? All the judgment came on you than him? I mean, I'm sure it didn't. I'm sure it didn't. I mean, there's my my truth, his truth, their truth, and then the truth. And is, Did um, they say in God's truth? Because God yeah. like sees it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God's truth. There's that too. Um, but I just, I, 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 I think, you know, over the last five years, looking at somebody's like, if you're looking at somebody and you're like, oh, they totally hate me. They totally hate me. They're, they're thinking the worst of me. And then you will go up and ask them like, Hey, like, what are you thinking about? Like, I'm thinking about eating a sandwich. Yeah. Like, that's nothing to do with you ever, ever. People don't actually give a shit. And if they yeah. do, it's because it triggers something inside of them. But so I don't truly know, but I know that there were people that like pulled them aside and said like, Hey, this is not, this isn't a good thing for you. You're young, you know, you're free. Like don't get wrapped up in some old ladies um, stuff. So here's my next question for you. How did you get out of it? Um, I reached for a lifeline. I called somebody who had always given it, uh, given, given a trace to me, talking to talk to me straight been direct with me. And, um, she said, you get to um, go to a 12-step meeting and you get to get your butt into a counselor and, and have a conversation about love addiction because this isn't um, you that's dealing this and creating this. This is a part of you that um, is sick and you get to get help. And uh, boy, I couldn't pick up the phone quick enough that day where I found myself driving around this telephone to hit myself into a telephone pole was the day I called her. And within mm -hmm. an hour of that incident, I was on a phone, phone call, phone therapy session with a love addiction specialist. And she was like, 
yeah, you are not alone. Like this is, this is to a T the description of love addiction and uh, there's hope. Here's my question for you. And a lot of people ask me this, you know, being I've, I've already said I'm out 10 years sober in sex and love addiction. And my question for you is, do you think you can have a love addicted relationship with one person and then have a healthy one in another, or are you always going to have love addicted qualities or traits? Are you saying simultaneously, like I can be love addicted to somebody else and then at the same time be in a healthy relationship with somebody or like segueing from one to the next? One to the next. Um, you know, over the last five years, what I've uncovered is that I am, uh, I'm on the spectrum of sex and love addiction. So there's days where I feel anorexic emotionally. There's days where I feel avoidant. There's days where like my intrigue button is really high. And for those of you that are listening, there's all different types of sex and love addiction. There's a, there's a range. It could even be codependence, just straight up one-on-one codependence. I can fall under the umbrella of that. And, um, I, in the work that I've done, it's when I choose to come from responsibility and ownership and I'm willing to go to the deepest cut of why I'm acting the way that I'm acting or showing up in the world, then I have the option to be in a healthy partnership. But it is only when I'm willing to do that work. Mm, I love how you say that because sometimes with love addiction, it's so hard to explain that there's so many different aspects. There's so many different of that personality that can come out at one time. I can go anorexic. I can become obsessive. I can want to flirt and intrigue. And it's like, I don't know each day what that character defect will flare up or that behavior will want to act out. So how you just said that, I hope it explained to the listeners that this can come in all forms. It's mm-hmm. not just one way. So you and made this. It's a, it's, yeah, a daily, it's a daily reprieve, right? Like <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> one day at a time, I choose to show up as a, a sober woman that's connected to something greater than myself. And without that um, spiritual practice, that foundation um, that I choose into every morning, I'm liable, liable to be right back in that car five years ago you know, finding the telephone pole or, or, you know, digging into my, my partner's, you know, phone records or something. (laughs) Well, yeah, because we only have control over ourselves. We don't have control over the person, you know, and love love addiction is you're addicted to a person. So they're human. They're going to have their flaws. Like my husband's going to trigger me sometimes and I'm going to be like, see ya. And other days I'm going to be like, I love you, but that's okay. I have to do the inner work. So I stay connected and an authentic person. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with them. If I'm, if, if I'm getting triggered by something someone else is doing, it's a, it's a gift to me to look at what value or belief that is toxic is arising and, and doing the work to get in there and rewrite that this human uh, projected all of the magical qualities that I wanted in a dad and a best friend and a partner and a brother. I mean, he, he fit every single mold of who I would have wanted to be kept safe, safe by. Mm -hmm. So I was constantly lusting after that safety from somebody else. And then envy, um, strikes a chord with me, uh, growing up, uh, triangulating with other women. So, the envy of, I don't want her to have what I, what I want. You ah. can't have it, but I can. So triangulating with, with men that in particular, this one who would, um, 
if at all possible, find the next available woman in whatever room we're in to create that dynamic with. Wow. So you would walk into a room and that dynamic, another woman would be like psychologically chosen and you would play out that dynamic? Almost every, every time I was in a space with him. Yeah. Can you name one incident that happened? Yeah. This activity we were participating in, it, I walked in one day and, and the woman, there was a woman in the space that, that, you know, walked by <laughs> the space. <and laughs> just simply walked by, just, just walked, walked by, by <laughs> walking her dog. And, uh, um, I saw him walk across the room, look out the window and then within 24 hours, they were having lunch together. And by, you know, day three, I confronted him straight up and was like, yeah, what? You know, it's just like, and, and there was no proof. Like I had no proof that anything had happened, but my gut was like, up, oh, here we go again. You know, she fits the mold of what he's after. And, it, and we were off to the races. And it's not just jealousy for me. It's the idea of creating situations where I'll be abandoned. Right. That you'll always be like the less than one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I seem like I used to do that too. have like a greater than less than with, with women in different ways. So when you're talking about it, it's like, oh, I always like was either one up or one below, Mm -hmm. you know, a woman with somebody, you know what I mean? So, but that was your instinct that you trusted your instinct. There was something inside of you because lots of people would just ignore that him looking out a window with a woman they walking even a dog. See it. Yeah, but you saw it and then you called it out, which I'm like, that never happens. Well, I guess it never happens, but the fact that I was calling it out was so that I could be right about being <laughs> rejected or abandoned. And it's funny because even even after that relationship ended and I really got into the work, I I would talk about walking into a room and scanning for who's the prettier person in the room versus, um, who's, is every, am I the prettiest girl in the room so that I could assert control and power to be safe? Like Mm. there was a very young part of me that just wanted to be safe everywhere that I went. And what I realized is that it had nothing to do with him. It was just another opportunity to play out the story that I'm not safe. Oh my God. That's like mic drop information that no matter what it was, it was just you setting up that scenario in your head. Yeah. So, you know, the good old serenity prayer, (laughs) (laughs) set the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can. And it's, it's, it's crazy. And like, I feel like a magician sometimes, but when I take ownership and I am in ownership of my own behaviors, thoughts, feelings, attitudes, sensations, um, inner dialogue, like no shit. My reality changes. Yeah. It oh, really 100%. does. <laughs> 100%. When I let go of wanting to have control out of anything outside of myself and just have responsibility for myself, it's so freeing. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I mean, there's been times where I've been in a relationship where I'm like, this person is an alcoholic. They are an alcoholic. I've taken their inventory. They, and when I took off the magnifying, you know, put down the magnifying glass and picked up the mirror within a week or two, that person wasn't drinking anymore. They did not have a problem with alcohol. It wasn't even an issue. And it was like, fuck, when I really show up and stay on my side of the street, everything I want to manifest manifests. Oh, 
my gosh. I almost have chill bumps right now. I mean, I am having them a little bit. <laughs> you should see my arm, people. You um, get it. <laughs> but here's my next question. So having this, you know, secret relationship, secret, like, pattern with this this 18-year-old guy, who do you think that benefited and who do you think it harmed? Um, there are so many benefits and so many harms, I would say. Um, the harms were subconscious on both of our parts and the benefits were intentional. Um, you know, like he learned things from me about life that he never would have learned if he hadn't met me. And there are things I learned about life that I never would have learned if I'd never met him. And I, I would say that like that relationship saved my life. Or, or gave me the opportunity to create my life. I, I often refer to that relationship as like I was living in black or white and was forced to go into a, uh, or chose to go into an emergency room. And when I walked out of the emergency room into the real world again, all I, all I could see was color. Mm. And it was like, holy shit, how have I been missing the taste of things? How have I been missing the color of things? How have I, I, I can feel and hear sound in a way that I never have before because all of my focus was in black or white before. So I benefited like massively from that relationship um, as detrimental and traumatizing and scary and uncomfortable and um, juicy for a lack of a better word. <laughs> But here's the thing, and I think this is, for me too, sometimes the darkest situation and the darkest relationship has, like, seeing it for what it was and then moving out of it, like you're saying, and seeing color, that you actually, like, step out of that horrible fantasy and into reality. And it's, and I think, I used to think a relationship is what gave the, gave the world color. Uh-huh. But that's not true. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I was so, so worried about losing that high of like a dramatic relationship, but mm-hmm. really that's not living in truth. That's living in black and white is what you're saying. Yeah. It's also another way I like to look at it is I no longer, like I have bumpers on my life now. Like I know if I get too high, I hit a ceiling instead of going even further than I would have. And sometimes living within those bumpers or value systems or boundaries or boundaries, <laughs> my guide- favorite word, <laughs> guidelines for my life. I, um, there's a little part that's sad, that that doesn't have that, that knows what the experience of being high or extremely low feels like. And sometimes life doesn't offer that same level of it's like eating candy or having a meal. Mm-hmm. I get to have me. I choose to eat meals now instead of, you know, binging on candy or soda all day. And looking back and going, dude, candy was fun, you know, and going, yeah, okay. I saw what life was like that. And I got really, really sick. So yeah. Yeah. Choosing no, meals there is today. a little, I mean, listen, I'm not saying there's not a little like oh, that part of my life is over. And then you see somebody doing it like a friend or somebody and you're like, eh, that was fun. But you know where that fun leads you. Nowhere like, good. Nowhere good and, and fast. And, and like, you were and hitting that, that telephone pole. Yeah, it's, it's a, 
I know that it leads to a hijacking experience and I'm just not um, willing to put myself through that. But did it benefit me to go through that at, at uh, such a young age? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm seeing people that are in their 50s and 60s and sometimes 70s who have never even acknowledged that they've been living decades of this way. So for me, yeah. I feel grateful to have, I would say, course correct in my life, choosing to get on a path of of reality and ownership um, at an early age. Oh, I love that. Oh my God, you are dropping so many bombs today for me. Like <laughs> I just needed to hear them, but I do have one last question. If somebody is in a type of relationship that has a lot of drama, that's not stable, that they're not really happy with, but they're addicted to, what would be your advice to them? Um, I would, uh, first and foremost, I would say like, it's some people can exist in those relationships and it's fine. I couldn't. So the question I would ask is like, is your life unmanageable? Is your emotional life unmanageable? What like make a list of the things that you're powerless over in this relationship. And, and then I would have them write out what their vision is. What do they want in relationship? And I would have them hold those two lists together and say like, are these two things matching up? Is it time to do something about it? And then, you know, every person, I mean, 12 step isn't right for everybody. It's not fit for everybody. There's, yeah, I agree. It's not, there's transformational tools, there's leadership tools, there's 12 step tools, there's therapy, um, there's holistic tools. There's all kinds of ways to, to move from, um, dysfunction to, um, thriving from surviving to thriving. And, um, the one thing I will say is if, if you are in a space of, losing your mind. You're not alone. There's somebody probably on your block that's having the same exact experience for some different reason, or maybe even the same one. So pick up the phone and call somebody and, um, that secrets will keep you sick. Yeah. And, uh, the sooner, the sooner you can let it go and let it out and find a safe space to do that. Uh, you know, I'm sure Brianne would be willing to be a safe space for anybody knowing that that's what she's up to here. Reach out reach out. And that is where we're going to end. So if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you'd like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.